Good morning, and welcome to worship at Central Baptist Church. As we begin this morning, I'd like to invite you to pass the friendship pads in, at the end of, of the pews. If you're interested in more information about this community, I ask that you include an email or a contact information so that we can send you more about who we are. We are deep into the season of Lent. Soon we'll be, we will be moving into the events of Holy Week, but until then we are observing this time of self-reflection. I found a poem this week by Ann Weems that I would like to begin our time by reading. Lent is a time to take time, to let the power of our faith story take hold of us. A time to let the events get up and walk around in us. A time to intensify our living unto Christ. A time to hover over the thoughts of our hearts. A time to place our feet in the streets of Jerusalem or to walk along the sea and listen to his words. A time to touch his robe and feel the healing surge through us. A time to ponder and a time to wonder. Lent is a time to allow a fresh new taste of God. Perhaps we're afraid to have time to think, for thoughts come unbiding. Perhaps we're afraid to face our future, knowing our past. Give us courage, O oh God, to hear your word and to read our living into it. Give us the trust to know we're forgiven and give us the faith to take up our lives and walk. Our hope this morning is that we have that courage and that trust. Let us worship God together.
Good morning. As you're able, please join me by standing for the call to worship. <clears throat> Our God is of power and of strength. Our God is a God of majesty and awe. Our God is a God of glory and wonder. Our God calls us each by our name. Join me in prayer. Gracious Father, it is an amazing concept that if you can call us each by name, you know us by name. With the many billions of people in this world, and yet you know each of us. That should give us great joy and great pause to turn to worship thee. But we let the cares of this world, the cares of our minds, family, circumstances, baggage, burden us and keep us from realizing this glorious promise. Father, in this hour, help us to refocus ourselves to just what that relationship with you can be. For we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 
Now, if you will take the time to pass the peace among each other. This is the Christian witness. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the, right, the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God. Um, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll have some time for some quiet reflection and for some silence uh, while, uh, while I play quietly. Uh, you'll find candles at the tables to either side uh, with some candles already lit and uh, a place for you to come if you'd like to and to uh, light another candle to symbolize your prayer to God this morning. Or perhaps you'd like to sit where you're at and to just focus on your breath to experience the presence of God with you where you are at right now. I'd invite you maybe to go ahead and, uh, and if you'd like, to put your finger in the hymnal uh, at number 692 because we'll use this, uh, the chorus of this song, as our response, uh, our sung response at the uh, end of our time of, of, uh, of quiet reflection together. And then we'll also use this uh, following that for uh, our offertory. Maybe we begin now with a, a deep breath and relax into the presence of God who is here among us even now as we read our call to prayer responsibly. When our souls are cracked and dry, When we've worked late into the night. When we're exhausted with worry. When we're haunted by what we've lost. When we've watered the ground with our tears. 
our prayers. we thank you that you are present with us here in this place. That you are present with us when we go about our days far beyond these walls. We ask you for eyes to see, for ears to hear, for hearts to understand. To notice your presence, to take time to honor that presence, to be with you as you envelop our days, as you permeate our moments, as you call us to true life. Open our heart, Lord.
God, we are grateful for your presence that is all around us, and we are grateful for the gifts that you have given to us. And so as we enter into a time of giving back to you, we ask, God, that we would give more than just our finances and our resources, but that we would give of our time, that we would give of our attention, that we would give of our very selves, as you have called us into grace and into love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Thank you, Jim and Cindy. I'm doubly blessed. I got to hear that for the second time. They sang it in early worship as well. And I think it was really better the second time around. So let's have them come back and sing it. We'll just skip the sermon. I knew there were going to be a few amens out there. Thank you. As you are able now, let us stand to hear the gospel lesson today, found in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. As we pick up the story of Lazarus' triumphant uh, move from the um, tomb by the command of Jesus and then this celebration afterwards, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She has bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. <clears throat> I begin with three textual comments from this passage of scripture you just read, particularly for those of you who have been in a church pew for some time and have heard many sermons about this passage. And so the first comment pertains to Mary and this century-rich experience that the church has been very uncomfortable talking about. Even now, 
2,000 plus years later, we're not sure what to do with the topic of touch in public forms. And for Mary, oftentimes we have heard of some kind of romantic connection that she may have had with Jesus or that she perhaps was a frustrated bride-to-be. Well, as I hope you'll see, that's not my interpretation of her, and I think it detracts from her deep devotion for Jesus. And so perhaps what is better to hear echoing in your mind as you listen to her story is that beautiful line from O Sacred Head. What language can I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? The second textual note is about Judas. And from Amy Lindenhard Allen, I have been aware, as she points out, that Jesus does not call Judas out. Did you follow along the parentheses? That the term that he's a betrayer does not come from the lips of Jesus, but from the chronicle of the person writing this story. And they even put it in parentheses. And in fact, as we walk with John's story of Jesus and Judas, we're going to learn in just a few days that Jesus will wash the disciples' feet, including Judas's, And that Jesus, thereby, will serve those who are even in opposition to him. Finally, this last verse. Right up there in one of the top misused verses in all of Scripture, the poor you will always have with you. And how many Christians, even today, will quote this verse and say, well, we shouldn't worry about the poor. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. Which may be based in a deep misinterpretation of these words. For some have suggested that there might be a difference here between the indicative mood and the imperative mood. The indicative mood is how most people read this passage, meaning a statement of fact. The poor you will always have with you. But in the imperative mood, perhaps what Jesus is saying is keep the poor with you. Keep them close to your heart and in your mind and in your thoughts. To keep them, to be aware of them. That yes, as you go about whatever task that you have, even extravagant ones, don't forget the poor. And if you can't buy that interpretation, perhaps Deuteronomy 15, 11 will help you. For it says there, because there will always be poor in the land, therefore I command you to open up your hand and to help them. So, while some suggest and interpret this inevitability about poor people to be a reason not to alleviate their suffering, I would suggest they have perverted Jesus' very intent and words. And so, we're wiping the slate clean. We're not preaching a sermon about Mary and her romantic attachment to Jesus or Judas and his betrayal or the situation about caring for the poor. So let's get now to the story. And imagine, if you will, it's twilight. And that you're gathering with friends. You've put off eating all day because you know there's going to be a big meal in the evening with everyone else. And there you are. Now this story happens on the night previous to Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. That very next day will be the one we celebrate as Palm Sunday. And on that treasured evening, Jesus is finding himself in a familiar place. A home in Bethany. A suburb about two miles outside of Jerusalem. 
Jesus had gathered there with friends. And some of those friends over the years had become very dear to him. But it was a weird time. The scent of sickness and death still lingered in the air. The brother, Lazarus, had the highly unusual distinction of being a former corpse. I've never met one of those. I'd be a little spooked out if I had. And as was their custom while eating, he was reclining next to Jesus. And you wonder, are they mirror images of each other? One man once dead, now alive, a shadow resembling the man soon to die in one week's time who will also live again. Can't you imagine the oddity of this celebration? What do you print on the invitation cards? What do you say in casual conversation to a man who has returned from the grave? How was your trip? What do you write on the banner? I mean, welcome back doesn't really sound very appropriate, does it? What do you scribble on the sheet cake? Happy rebirthday? And adding to this uncertainty, the disciples are tense and nervous on pins and needles. They had tried to persuade Jesus to stay as far away as he could from Jerusalem. They knew that the risks were too high and the threats too great for his safety because many wanted him dead. And some of the conspirators were recognized at that very party. But Jesus was determined that he would take his movement to the capital city of Jerusalem. And he wanted to be with his friends before this, his final week of life on earth would begin. Plus, his friends needed him. Lazarus had died and the two sisters, Mary and Martha, were convinced that Jesus had the power to heal their brother from sickness. But Jesus was delayed and their brother had died and their good friend, they felt, had let them down. How overwhelming it must have been to discover that Jesus even had command over death itself. Like so many things in Jesus' life with these multiple meanings falling on top of each other. Yes, Jesus would rise from the dead, but he would not only die and rise as a single individual, but he would, by including the Lazarus story, claim us and share resurrection's power in our dying and in our faithful rising with him. We know that Jesus' friendships with these three siblings transcended the working relationship he had with his disciples. When Jesus was tired from the demands of the crowd and weary from travel and upon the roads and through the towns, traveling and ministering and healing, here at this home in Bethany, he was able to lay down the burden of being the 24-7 Messiah. And for a little while, put up his feet at his friend's home, relax and rest, maybe even for a brief period of time, experiencing what it could have been like to be just another normal person. All of us, all of us, including Jesus, need friends who truly understand us and accept us and take us exactly as we are without demands, expectations, or preconceptions. All of us, all of us, including Jesus, need time to disengage, disconnect, and even disappear. And at some point in this strange evening, 
Mary springs up into action. And here I think we can dispel with the notion that Martha was the responsible doer while Mary was the impractical dreamer. For yes, Martha's reputation is being about being busy and busy doing all the household chores. But I also view Mary as being busy too. Busy with the things of the kingdom. So Mary was not to be distracted when Jesus would be found teaching. Paraphrasing the text, you'll always have dust and dishes with you. But when Jesus is in town and is sitting in a session of teaching others, it doesn't matter how pressing the tasks are that you should do. It's time to make him your first priority. Maybe people would go hungry, but they would be being fed with so much more. And here we discover how Mary is perceptive, perhaps more perceptive than anyone else in the room, maybe even at this point more perceptive than Jesus of knowing exactly what is needed in this moment and what exactly is needed by our Lord. Keenly aware of the gravity and significance of this very moment and the seven-day countdown that's now commencing where Jesus will again be stretched out, not reclining easily at a table with friends, but pulled apart upon a beam of agony and execution. Have you ever felt that much love? Have you ever felt that much love for Jesus? To know that he speaks the divine voice and says, you are loved exactly for who you are and what you are and how you are. To know that he speaks the divine voice and says, your sins are forgiven even before you ask for them to be forgiven. Who speaks the voice of God and says, I can help you get through your guilt and your shame and forgive you of all the things that bear you down and burden you. Uh, a savior who asks of us so little except to be our best and to not count all the things that we have done wrong against ourselves, but to always seek to be renewed in grace and love. How much love would we offer a person who could say to us the greatest dilemma over our existence and the greatest fear we have of death can be wiped completely away. What language can we borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? So imagine this drama playing out in Mary's mind, her insightful mind, her sensitive heart. Her brother was lost to death and now he's laughing and, and eating and, and has been returned back to them. And her Lord with the power over life itself abundant and everlasting life is soon to be given over to his enemies and swallowed up to death. This was going to be their last supper together and she knew it. And so overwhelmed with intense love and deeply in sync with the weight bearing down upon her friend Jesus and his approaching destiny, Mary breaks with all conventionality and common sense at the risk of offending every single person in the room. She completes an action of extravagance, extraordinary love, and extreme devotion. In describing this scene, Presbyterian pastor Barbara Brown Taylor notes four ways that Mary has offended the crowd. Number one, she loosened her hair something an honorable woman never does. Number two, she pours expensive perfume on Jesus's feet. Perhaps this perfume is appropriate for the end of life and if reserved for the living, perhaps for a king. But you would anoint the king upon his head with this expensive perfume. You would never pour it upon someone's feet. 
Number three, she touches him. A single woman rubbing a man's feet. Also, not done even among friends. And fourth, she finally wipes the perfume off with her hair. That, according to Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, Barbara Taylor Brown, is bizarre. A bizarre end to a bizarre act. Soon everything's going to start pressing in. The noise, the crowds, the demands, the waving of the palm branches, the teachings in the temple, the, the press as there's this conspiracy at play of bringing together political and religious powers so that Jesus could be trumped up on a charge of arrest and, and even accused of a capital offense and brought to death. In the midst of that context, we don't only sing what a friend we have in Jesus. We might be best to sing, oh, what a friend Jesus had in Mary. Two final points. Bringing in the B'nai Brown um, material that we've been reading. Some have been reading this uh, time of Lent as we are focused on the chapter Choosing Rest Over Seeking Status. You see that played out in this story? Seeking rest over always trying to achieve status. Brown says that along with her husband Steve, they were asking a creative question for their lives. It was, what things really work well in our family? What, what does it look like when our family's functioning very well? What makes our family work to its best? And, and they began to realize their answers were sleep, working out, healthy food, cooking, time off, weekends away, going to church, being present with their children, a sense of control over their money, meaningful work that doesn't consume us, time to piddle, time with family and close friends, time just to hang out. These, they realized, were the ingredients for joyful, meaningful living. And then all of a sudden, they remembered they had another list, what they called and used to call their dream list. They had made it a few years back, and they kept adding to it of things they hoped for in life. Everything on this list was an accomplishment or an acquisition, a house with more bedrooms, a trip here, a personal salary increase, a professional endeavor of some kind of achievement, and, and so forth. Everything on that list required more money and spending more money and feeling more pressure. And that's an okay list. And it's not a bad list. But here's what they realized when they compared the two together. One was something they were pressing toward. The other gift was present for them right there, right now. Maya Angelou, in Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now, writes, every person needs to take one day away, a day in which one consciously separates the past from the future, jobs, family, employers, friends, can exist one day without any one of us and if our ego permit us to confess, they could exist eternally in our absence. Each person deserves a day away in which no problems are confronted, no solutions searched for. Each of us needs to withdraw from the cares which will not withdraw from us. The invitation, as now we make our journey, and as we come to this time as we turn from this week into Holy Week is to celebrate the power of this moment you are given. Because context and timing are everything. And that we need regular times of rest and we need rare times of glory. But if you spend every bit of language writing in all caps, 
And if you end every sentence with an exclamation point, then you ruin the power of emphasis. And instead of making yourself exceptional, you just sound obnoxious and rude. That there are times for us to give all we have and all we can, and, and times where extravagance is appropriate and required. But we can't constantly live on the high of everything being the best and the brightest and the top in every single moment of existence. We need to embrace the, the power of now, the time for work and rest, and have a regular rhythm where we know how to live in the present well. I believe Mary had a prophetic understanding of the times all around her because she knew how to tune out the noise and dial up the affection. And if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus's, I just hope I can be a disciple like her. Our final hymn today is a time of response and invitation. Go, my children, with my blessing, hymn 547. It's a time for you to give your heart to Christ, a time to be a part of this loving community, a time for you to recognize the power and call of God in your life. Would you stand and respond as we together sing hymn 547. You may be seated, and it's my joy to introduce Stosh and Christy Sanicki, who are standing here by my side. Uh, Stosh and Christy come to be members of this congregation. Uh, Stosh with Statement of Faith and Seeking Baptism, which uh, we have loosely scheduled for Easter Sunday with Jackson. So Jackson, you're not the only one being baptized on Easter. 
And it's like that sign at uh, Captain D's. We're still baptizing. And if you want to bat- get baptized on, on Easter, then there's a window of opportunity for you. But Stasha's uh, thinking about and planning to be baptized here. And Christy comes upon transfer of letter. If this is a delight in your heart as it is mine for them to be members of our congregation, would you say, praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Stosh, that's the people of God who are welcoming you, offering their affirmation to your decision, and pledging to you to be your church family, as I know you will be family for us. And I understand this is not a secret. Uh, They are also expecting their first child. Uh, this year, and so there's a lot of news to celebrate with them, and I hope you'll do that, that you'll come uh, from where you are and welcome them more personally after the service, so they'll be standing here, you come down, say words of welcome and hello, but you all can be seated here, but thank you for making this day important for us um, in the life of our church. Got a lot going on, folks. It is getting close to Holy Week and Palm Sunday, so let me run through a few things. Uh, Kate Campbell concert is coming. Uh, is that, it's the first Sunday of May, I think the 5th, but I'm not sure about the exact date, 5th, 6th, somewhere in there. Um, and you can buy tickets for that event today, and I hope you will, and that will be in the sign-up table to the right as you leave. And you might want to invite others to come with you, but it will be a limited affair. Uh, so there's only so much room for everyone to be here. So get those tickets early and invite friends early. Uh, Kate Campbell is a professional musician, storyteller, who uh, actually did a concert here about 10 years ago uh, from Tennessee and is absolutely fantastic. You will enjoy that evening together and please buy your tickets early for it. The children are getting ready for Easter uh, they are asking for candy donations for their Easter egg hunt. You can leave those at the church, and there's a box outside the office. And also for bells that they will wish to have with them Sunday morning on Easter for a celebration they will be doing in the atrium hallway. And so if you could bring those and help with that, that would be helpful. Uh, then this week is um, an important week for us. Uh, We have the Theological Roundtable with Dennis Johnson looking at the work of Walter Rauschenbusch, and that will be Thursday around lunchtime, Um, and you can sign up for that again in the foyer table. Um, And the Baby Boomers are going to Zim's Cafe, and so if you need something a little lighter, um, there's also that event that's happening for fellowship, and you are welcome to join them for that event. They get everything? Okay, thumbs up. I like, I like the thumbs up. Come and say hello to Stosh and Christy as we conclude our service and as you bow for the benediction. Teach us again, O oh God, how to live with joy, how to live by giving, how to live through love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.